Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. you guys discuss all the non-important games <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it was a little bit like that because Bayern and Germain, both matches were so exciting that you know we didn't really the others just didn't compare true yeah. I mean to me the, the biggest f- uh, surprise over the four games is that there were no what do you say uh, the, the four teams uh, uh, who won the first leg they qualified Yes. There was yeah. no turnaround in the yeah. in the second leg, and, and to sure. me that's that's a big surprise. And we got used to these comebacks in the last few seasons, so exactly. Yeah. True. Yeah. Okay. Well, hello, and what a Champions League quarterfinals for us to talk about on this podcast. Like Tom, I was saying, no comebacks, but some good matches, especially Paris Saint Germain and Bayern. So I'm Joana Bueno, replacing Ian McCourt once more, and joining me on today's episode is Daniel Cadena. Hello, hello. And Thomas Bourguillon. Hello, everyone. So, Thomas, you're going to be talking about Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern because I really liked your analysis the first match. I really liked the second match as well. And I'm looking forward to hearing from you. What about this match? Was it better than the first? Or what, what can you tell us about it? Honestly, Joanna, to me, it was even better than the, than the first game because... It was there was the, it was not as epic as the as the first leg when we had the snow, uh, this Game of Thrones uh, yeah. kind of football game as we as we said last week, but still it was it was a really good game uh, in the intensity and the, the technical skills of the of the player and what was to me really striking is that even though PSG lost the game, uh, they played better in my opinion than 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 Bayern. They were they were n- never in a in a position of um, panicking. Uh, you had the, the impression that they, they they had a plan and they executed pretty well. And they, the yeah the the players they were never uh, panicking when even though Bayern was uh, was leading one one nil. And I was I was talking with some um, uh, PSG fans uh, uh, friends after the game, and their impression was the was the same is that the PSG delivered probably one of his best uh, uh, Champions League performances even though they lost the game and uh, and overall they, they think that for instance last year PSG uh, went uh, all their way to the to the final but after playing the you know the, the final eight against uh, Atalanta uh, against Leipzig only on a, on a single game this time they they have uh, uh, beaten Barcelona, Bayern Munich in a, in a two games uh, um, uh, two games uh, round, and now they're gonna face uh, Manchester City. So this time, if Ma- if PSG is going again to the to the final, it's because they deserve it. That that's very well put. I actually thought Bayern was a bit better than PSG overall in general because they had more control of the match, but PSG was much more dangerous. They attacked much better. And what a match by Neymar. I think maybe the best match I've seen him play in Paris Saint-Germain. What do you say? I, I totally agree with you. And even in the French uh, you know, sports and media outlets, uh, Neymar received the best uh, the best comments and the best, uh, uh, how do you say, grade uh, after the after the game, 
definitely one of his best, probably the best uh, Champions League performance with PSG uh, so far. Especially the first 60 minutes uh, were really impressive. In the first half, he should have scored at least one, one goal. He, he hit the post and the bar. He, he lost two one-on-one uh, -on -one against uh, Manu Neuer. But despite that, his attitude, his uh, inspiration and also the impact he had on the game uh, were, were, were very impressive. And uh, yeah, he, had, uh, he, he played 30 duels. It was a game record. He had six shots, three on target. It was also a game record. And he provoked seven fouls. And uh, yeah, it was also a game record. And if you look at the heat map of Neymar uh, during this PSG Bayern game, he was everywhere. Everywhere. So, and in the end, if, if, even if you look at his stats now uh, with uh, PSG in Champions League, this season he has already matched or even improved all his stats uh, with, uh, with PSG in terms of games played, because you know that one of the uh, what, what PSG fans sometimes regret with Neymar is that he missed some important Champions League games uh, in the past uh, seasons. So this time he has already played the same number of games in Champions League with PSG this, uh, this season, scored the same number of goals as the, as the, the previous season. So yeah, Neymar seems to be uh, in a, on a mission. So Joanna, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, last week uh, I read this, uh, this nice comment uh, in, a, in a Spanish newspaper. Basically, they were comparing Neymar to uh, our grandmother's pies, meaning that it is really tasteful, um, Neymar is really fun to watch, but the, the problem or the question with Neymar is, will it last? And that's the difference between him and the, the, the Ronaldo's, the Messi's, or even the Mbappe's, who are Lewandowski's, who are um, delivering week after week. And Neymar has been ex excellent in these two games versus Bayern Munich. Now the question is, Will he play at the same level against Manchester City uh, in the semi-final? It is time uh, to confirm and to and to show us uh, the and to confirm the impact he has on this PSG uh, team. Do you think that maybe his performance or him playing so well, especially in the second match, has to do with Mbappé shining so much? I think I've asked you this in the last episode. Because Mbappé, you know, the matches against uh, Barcelona and he's been probably the man of the season in Paris Saint-Germain, so Neymar wanted to the spotlight back on him. I don't know, I think it has also to do with a, with a change in, in positioning and, and tactics uh, we, we've seen in these two games uh, against uh, Bayern Munich. Um, Neymar was playing more in, like, in a center position, which he, he, which he really likes. Mbappe, I have to say that even if Mbappe didn't score against Bayern on, on Tuesday night, his defensive role and his defensive impact was, was huge. So I, I wouldn't um, agree that Mbappe was a bit, uh, how do you say, um, in, in a shadow, because his impact on the game was, was, was huge as well, even though he didn't, he didn't score. What is going to be interesting uh, in the semi-final against Manchester City is to, is to see if um, the, the, the impact of the, the return of Verratti uh, in, in, in the squad, because perhaps we're going to see Neymar moving to a different position uh, on the pitch. So good that you brought that up, because Verratti is going to come back and Marquinhos probably will be back as well. But uh, this Paris Saint-Germain against Manchester City, that's quite a clash. Who would you bet on? 
I would bet on PSG first of all because I'm I'm in charge of the of the French content at One Football, so it's better for me if PSG go through their way to the to the final, of course. But no, I think looking at the double header between Manchester City and Dortmund, in a, in a sense, in a way, Dortmund the way of their way of playing is quite similar to the the way. PSG is playing under under Pochettino at a, at an even better level, and we we could see all the troubles uh, Manchester City had against this uh, Borussia Dortmund. So I'm, I'm I'm pretty confident PSG can be very annoying and very dangerous for this uh, Manchester City squad and defense. Who would you bet on chips on, Daniel? Um. Yeah, uh, I don't have a favorite one for this game, to be quite honest with you. But I do think PSG do have an edge simply because they have, it sounds corny to say, the two most expensive players on earth. But uh, they are a factor to keep in mind. I mean, Mbappé is touted already as the next, uh, you know, Messi or Ronaldo, along with Haaland. They're supposed to be the new two faces of, the, of football. And Neymar is, well, Neymar, I mean, he's everything but a bad player. He's a fantastic guy. He's, uh, he's fantastic on the pitch. And uh, I don't know, I think that in the end gives them a little edge over a team that I'm not 100% sold on when it comes to uh, European competition, Joanna. That's a good point. Uh, what, I would like to, what I would like to add, on, on, uh, please, Joanna, is that, and I gave the, the stat last week, but uh, all the, the teams uh, which have defeated or eliminated Bayern Munich over the past four years have won the Champions League. The, uh, those, those are uh, uh, the uh, sorry uh, the Real Madrid and uh, and also Liverpool since 2017. So I think it's a good start for PSG. They, now they've eliminated Bayern and they perhaps they're gonna be the next the next winner of the Champions League. Well, great expectations for that match, and we did have great expectations for Bayern PSG, which you know were actually very good matches, but. Bayern, I think, left a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, an impression that they could have done more, that they have, their, all their flaws were exposed in this match, especially the defensive flaws, which has been, you know, Bayern's Achilles heel in this season. And for next season, Alaba is leaving, Boateng, you know, he's not young anymore. He actually didn't do so well, but, you know, it's, it's a bit unfair to put Boateng to chase after Mbappé. Zule... I don't think he's a bad player, but he's even slower than Boateng. Upamecano is, com is, is coming, but is it going to be enough? What do you think, Daniel? Um, I mean, losing Alaba is obviously the heaviest blow there, right? Uh, Boateng has been loyal to the team for, what, 10 years at this point at Bayern. Uh, he's one of those names up on the list with, like, Neuer, Müller. Uh, those sort of players has been around for a really long time. Um, but, yeah, like you say, he, his pace is out of, out, of, out of whack at this point. He's... Um, also been injured a lot for the past two or three seasons. That hasn't helped him have a, maybe a rhythm or a continuity or the physical strength necessary to be as good as we remember him being at one point. Sule, I'm, I'm not that worried about. I think he's fine. He's still young. He, we, we're, we think he's slow because he's a unit and he looks slow. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the guy is a good player all in all, I think. Um, Upamecano, I think, is going to be a really good uh, add to the team. He's going to be a really good complement to Zule, I think. He adds a bit of the elegance that uh, Zule lacks, maybe, that Zule overcompensates maybe with, like, more brute force kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I, I think the defense is going to be one of the, of the weakest links uh, on the team for a long time because, like you say, I mean, it's, it's a complicated market coming up. 
only one name has been fully linked and a name that's already costing them a bit of money. Vamekan is coming for 42 million, I think, so it's not that cheap. Um, at the same time, you have to replace a player like Alaba, who can not only play as a center back, he can play as a left full back, he can play uh, in the midfield, he can do a lot of damage and a lot of, of you know, add a lot to the to the Byron cause. I think that's the main the main worry there. How do you replace a player like Alaba that is able to offer you essentially three different positions and three different alternatives to play him? I think that's going to be the trickier part because Ubamecano man to man isn't necessarily a direct replacement for 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 David Alaba. I think. But, but Daniel, uh, Daniel, they already have the, the, the natural replacement for, for Alaba. I'm, I'm, I'm almost joking here, but did you, did you watch the game of Theo Hernandez? On oh, the well, that was... He was Luca, you mean. awesome. Uh, sorry, Luca. Yeah, yeah, yeah was he was, the, the, he was brutal. Games. I mean, he, there was a couple of plays he made that, that were... Like, the, the run he makes catching up with, I think, was the name of Mbappé that he just... Exactly. That was an amazing one. That's very, very true. I mean, he's a good player and all. I think what's going to happen in the end is that they're going to keep Luca and Davies as the options for the left side somehow and just alternate one to the center, play one on the left, just rotate them on the, on the wing or something. Because, I mean, Luca's been playing fantastic. Hopefully, he's finally showing, you know... The, the price tag of 80 million Byron paid for him in the end. Uh, and the fact that he's a very complete player, he came with an ACL tear to the team. He hadn't really been able to shine or to like live up to the expectations. And it was great to see that, you know, when, when it came down to, to the dying minute, he was one of the, of the last ones to quit. So I think speaks very well of him. You're very right about that, Toma. I think he's, uh, he's a fantastic name to have on your team. On Tuesday night, of course, he was playing against a, a French team. So the, the French fans were looking even more carefully at, uh, at Theo's performance. Uh, and Lucas, I'm always confusing, sorry. In your Lucas, defense, uh, I'm always confusing the both of them as well, so no worries. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to call him Hernandez so that everybody knows who I'm, I'm talking about. But he, yeah, he was playing in more in central defense and his performance yeah. was, was so great that he, he, he could also be a very viable option in central defense for the French national team uh, playing sure. alongside, uh, alongside uh, Varane, for instance, and, and leaving the, the left uh, uh, the left back position for for Fernand Mendy, for instance. So that's what some some French uh, football fans were discussing, for instance, on, on Twitter uh, after the game on Tuesday night. But really, Lucas impressed many many people in France on Tuesday night. We were talking about Upamecano, and the biggest hiring of Bayern for this season was actually Sané, and so far. I've been very disappointed at him. I don't think he found himself in Bayern yet. What do you think, Daniel? Um, well, he's a, a, a similar case to that out of Luca in the sense that he also comes from a very big injury. Uh, it takes them a while to kind of get back the confidence. I think, I agree with you. I don't think it's been a, a, a great season for Sané's. I'm not necessarily his biggest fan, to be quite honest, either. Um, having said that, though, I mean, he's performed, what, four goals, nine assists in the Bundesliga, not being a regular starting player, playing as a starting player only when Knabri or, or Koman are injured or when they have to try something different or rotate or whatever. So I think it's not that bad of a tally. Um, but then again, you compare him to Knabri, and I think the reason why people believe Zane's season's been rather disappointing is because Knabri has exact opposite numbers. He's scored nine and assisted three. Zane's done four goals, assisted nine. So 180 degree inverse right there. And I think that's why maybe Knabri gets more headlights because he does score the goals in the end. But having said that, I, I don't know. I think Sané's uh, approach to the game is what's most concerning, not necessarily the results um, he delivers. thing is that sometimes he seems unmotivated, unengaged. He can't be bothered to receive a ball, to ask for a ball, to fight for a ball. You, you can barely see him tackle here and there. But then he has this one great game where he just flies back and forth the whole time. He's the one winning the tackles. He's the one asking for everything. 
Um, and I think that in the in the game on Tuesday, the case was more of a player that wanted to win the game himself and no one else. Like he took shot, he took shots that arguably could have been pa- better passes or better assists. There was one very at the beginning for Thomas Mueller that was wide open down the center of the of the of the of the attacking area of the of the penalty box. And uh, yeah, Zane just took a shot from outside the box and uh, he missed. I don't know. I think it, there's still a bit of him finding his role within the team. There's a bit of him finding himself after the injury. But there's also, uh, I think, a big reality check that this season is definitely something worth discussing on, on what Sané's role in the team is down the line. On the, on the PSG side, my biggest disappointment, or at least what I think is the biggest disappointment, not of the season, but overall, is Draxler. I, I still don't know why he got hired by PSG because they had already players to play in the same position as he did and, and he started on the bench and now he's been playing but he really didn't do much this last two matches. The, last night I thought, uh, I, this week I thought that Bahisa Germain was playing by with 10 players. What do you think of him, Thomas? <laughs> I think your, your comment is a bit... Uh, uh, you say, a bit too much. A bit too much, because, but it's true that no, but the, the, the question you're asking, the, the, the French commentators have also been discussing the Draxler case as well, meaning, oh, one of the biggest changes under Pochettino is that Draxler is back into the, into the rotation, even in the, uh, in the starting lineup. And if you look, I think what Pochettino asks or uh, hopes from uh, Draxler is to, because he's also able to bring some defensive uh, implication in this uh, uh, midfield of Paris Saint-Germain, which sometimes you cannot expect much from Di Maria, Neymar, or even Mbappé on a, on a de- uh, in their defensive implication. And sometimes PSG is playing with only eight or seven players on the um, on the defensive uh, side of the game. So with Draxler, at least you have this more implication and also this ability to uh, to to this in the transition. Uh, mode from the defense to to attack. Uh, Draxler is quite good at keeping the ball, uh, passing it very cleanly to to Neymar. So yeah, it doesn't. It's nothing too bright or too shiny that uh, uh, Draxler is uh, delivering. But I think it's quite useful in uh, Pochettino's uh, mind and, and and tactics. Okay, okay, that, that was a good one. Eleven players then. How about Hansi Flick, Daniel? Is he staying in Bayern? Is he taking over the national team? What's going on there? Uh, it depends on who you believe, really. Um, half of the outlets are saying uh, he's leaving ASAP, I mean, as soon as possible, uh, to the national team. Others are still not 100% sure. I, my personal take is that I think their relationship with uh, Hasan Zalihamizic, who's the sports director of Bayern, has strained to a point where the, the, the club is basically split in two. Uh, half of them are so to say, on the Flick side of things and the other half are on the Hazan side of things. And I think uh, it's a shame because he's a great coach. He's done a lot for the team. He's proven himself to be a really good strategist and a really good uh, you know, organizer. The problem is that the, the lack of chemistry with, with Sadi Hamizic has basically brought the team to a halt, right? Like he's asking for players. They deliver some players, not the ones Flick ones. And that's kind of taken over the dynamic. Uh, at this point, and I'm one of those that thinks that if someone wants to leave a place or is uncomfortable at a place, it's just better to let them go no matter how good they are. Because, I mean, what's the point of having a coach that's fighting against what's happening in the club uh, and focusing on that instead of just focusing on the football part? It's going to be complicated to, to fix 
unless they fully do 180 and, and you know get rid of of Zalihamizic, but that seems more unlikely than leaving than Fleek leaving. So I don't know. I think in the end, uh, the only alternative for him professionally at this point seems to you know, have a, a clean exit from Bayern, go back to the national team, have a decent season, or find something big elsewhere and just go for option C, right? But, um, I mean, I see. I think it's very complicated uh, for Flick to stay, even if the powers that be uh, do kind of want him to at this point. Well, he did have a great job. He did a great job in Bayern. So even if he leaves, yeah. he's going to be the, 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 the one of the coaches that worried all with Bayern, just like you, Pankis. That's not so bad. Yeah. But compared to last season, DFB Pokal, they're already out. Champions League, they just left. Okay, they left standing up, you know, but with the heads up, but they left. Is the Bundesliga going to be enough or can you consider this season a disaster? Um, I don't think it's a disaster. I just think you have to keep in mind, like you, you very well mentioned as well, like they just came from winning six, from winning everything. Six trophies in one season. It takes a toll on a team. Uh, I think that was part of the of the equation in the series against PSG. Even like you could see Byron's bench was basically you know decimated. There was no one there. Three players from the youth team uh, who had to leave the youth team that is fighting for a relegation spot for staying in, in third division. Sorry to play in the first team. So, you know, there was a bit of a snowball effect within Bayern and everything that that implied, the amount of injuries, I mean. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily consider it a bad season. Uh, I just think that Bayern has gotten used to being, you know, dominant wherever wherever they go. Like, the Champions League used to be a semifinalist here and there with very, you know, um, I think in the last five, six editions, they've been in more semifinals than in quarterfinals even. So it's that sort of, you know, magnitude of team. The Pokal, I think, is probably the one thing you could actually hold against Flick and Bayern, saying that you would expect uh, a better performance maybe. But I don't know. I think it's going to be a tough season. I'm not sure the Bundesliga's won quite yet. They play Wolfsburg, who are third right now on Saturday. They play Leverkusen on Tuesday. Um, then they play Mainz, who are surprisingly the fifth best team in Germany in 2021 um, uh, the next weekend. So I think we can still we can talk about disaster if the Bundesliga isn't one, which in my opinion is still far from from decided, albeit they are for five points ahead. Right. But uh, if you want a yes or no, I'd say it's a bit harsh calling it uh, a bad season quite yet. It could be better, definitely, but uh, it could be a lot worse also. How about Dortmund? They're still in the DFB Pokal semifinals, but they yeah. just got kicked out also. And it's for them, it's even harder to reach the top four and the, the Champions League spot next season. Is that going to be a disaster then? Not going to the Champions League is going to be a disaster, not only for what we as pundits might think or the fans might think or believe, but financially they need that Champions League money. I mean, they're in a big hole right now. They have 40 million in the red. Uh, and they have to kind of make up that money somehow, which means A, the market selling someone, which is probably going to be Jaden Sancho, or B, you know, earning more money via competition, which uh, I seriously don't think the Dave Pokal is going to cover just by winning it, you know. Uh, they could have used that semifinal money. Um, having said all that, I do think the expectations with Dortmund are are distortedly high in the sense that we're basically talking about a, an under-21 team, okay? This is basically like an Olympic team you would go with, you know, basically under-23 players, sorry, and uh, three pro players uh, joining them. Uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting cosmos of players, and I think that's sort of uh, what people kind of forget, know that these kids are literally just above age to have a beer. So the fact that they're playing for a spot in the semifinals of the Champions League, the fact that they're playing for the Champions League speaks very well of, of the young players, but uh, yeah. There's always something missing in that team, isn't there? That's a really good point. Because you have these 
great generation and and Dortmund is a team that is known for you know having these young teams and developing talents and and selling these talents at some point but you can't really pay a Champions League like a Champions League quarterfinal or a semifinal that they were expecting to reach with Haaland, yeah. Sancho, Jude Bellingham, Reina I mean they're wonderful guys but they're too young for that aren't they? My my question is, I would put it, I would reformulate the question to like if one of them is missing, like in the case of 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 Jadon Sancho last night, who do you play? They play Knauf, who's a great 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 prospect, but you need a twenty a good twenty six year old, good twenty seven year old on the bench or even in the starting eleven to give you maybe that little edge, that little experience, understanding where they're actually at. You know, uh, many of these kids literally are playing a, a Champions League quarterfinal for the first time. Many of these guys are going to be gone within two seasons. Uh, it's sort of that, that's what's missing. The, the lack of commitment with the with the bigger picture, so to say. Uh, sticking around Dortmund for five years is something that's kind of hard to do nowadays. Or find a player in Dortmund that sticks around for five years in the squad is kind of hard to find nowadays. At the same time, you have the fact that these kids are just not experienced enough. And you do need a bit of that, uh, of that you know, standing up after falling uh, experience in order exactly. to survive this sort of, of, of instances, you know? Yeah, well, on the Manchester City side, I was talking last week that I was very disappointed at their performance in the first match. Not so very disappointed, but again, a bit disappointed at the second match. Not that they did bad. I mean, they won the match. They turned it around. There was a beautiful goal by Phil Folden. But yeah. at some point, we thought Dortmund was going to go through against Manchester City, probably the best squad in the world with one of the best coaches in the world. I mean, they're super ahead in the Premier League, on their way to win another Premier League. They can actually win four trophies this season. Yeah. Were you expecting more as well? The problem is that uh, it's, it's a Guardiola thing. It's not a City thing. Uh, I'm not a big City fan, to be quite honest, but I have nothing against them personally. Uh, it's just Guardiola has this habit of overthinking and over-tinkering and modifying things that don't necessarily need to be modified for certain key games. He did it at Bayern three seasons in a row. He's done it in City, what, three, four seasons he's been there already. Uh, he kind of did that in Barcelona, but in Barcelona he had Messi, Xavi, and Iniesta to pull, you know, pull him out of trouble. Uh, he's a great coach. He just has this thing that when it comes down to like the final decisive games, he's always eager to modify things. He likes change so much, he's unwilling to accept that things are fine as they are. And I think that's what's led him to, you know, basically trip here and there uh, with City, with Bayern, wherever he's been uh, on more than one occasion. I think it's just part of his script, it's part of it's in his genes, the fact that, I don't know, he can't stay still, he embraces change so much, things have to change. It's, it seems almost like, like you know, they're, they're meant to change a period. There's, they're, staying put is not an option for the guy. And I think, that was one of those things that maybe you did realize in the game against Dortmund that maybe they shouldn't have modified that many things compared to the first game. I felt City played a better first match than they did a second one. Uh, I saw Dortmund way more comfortable in, this, in, the, in the second match, the second crossing against City. Uh, I don't know. I think uh, they, you're just going through because they had a rival that was a lot more accessible and they had, well, the luck of having Phil Foden with an amazing shot as well. And, you know, also two controversial penalties penalty decisions in both games, uh, you know, uh, kind of support the claim that City could have done better. They're a great team. They're, like you say, way ahead in the Premier League. They're up for four trophies this season. They're, it's Pep Guardiola, for Christ's sakes. I mean, who am I to criticize the guy? But um, the but, thing is... But it is it, a good it, point. He does do that. He does invent yeah. a lot. Yeah, it's... Sometimes it's just overkill. I mean, I think he's just doing it for the fun, for the sport of it, of, of changing things. But 
the team is fine, man. Just leave, let them play. You don't have to overanalyze everything. It's Dortmund, for Christ's sakes. They're not a bad team, but they're 21-year-olds. Play your best, you'll be fine. Yeah, and if they want to beat Paris Saint-Germain, I mean, Guardiola's going to have to be a little more conservative and not invent so much because they're not Dortmund. <laughs> well, moving on True. to the other match last night. Uh, I guess we talk about Liverpool and... We can't really say that their performance, when we talk about Liverpool, we can't really say that their performance were disappointed, but it, the whole season is a bit disappointed. They did yeah. play well, they had good chances, uh, Salah has really good chances, but it was missing a little bit of some final touches, don't you think? Liverpool, I mean, it's a very odd season they're having. I think key to make sure had a really tough time uh very similar to Bayern in the sense that you know they suffer a lot uh of the defense Van Dijk being gone for so long has been I think key to the to explaining this season uh they basically had to restructure the whole process of you know tackling defending recovering and counterattacking from scratch just because they lost one of the key pass long pass providers in the team um and yeah uh, I think that's sort of like I don't know the fatigue of having to redraw everything the fact that Klopp is very depending on this sort of, of style, a brand of football that Zidane is really good at figuring out. Um, I think that, that kind of like sentence it for Liverpool. The first game they played was bad and that was good enough for Real Madrid. They didn't have to make two good games. They didn't have to play two good games. Uh, just beating Liverpool 2-0 for the first one, uh, th sorry, 3-1 for the first one was, was more than enough. And I think that kind of tells the tale, doesn't it? Exactly. Well, and when we look at Real Madrid, their season could have been a Liverpool season because they started really bad, yeah. losing to Shakhtar in a match that was 3 new <laughs> in the first half. But I mean, the first half could have been 5 or 6 nil. I was very impressed by that match. Yeah. It was just that. I mean, they weren't so bad the whole season, but they were very, very irregular. But I think they're kind of picking up. I mean, a beautiful win in the El Clasico, very important win in the El Clasico last weekend. One point yeah. now behind Atletico, Champions League semi-final. I think they recovered from the bad start, don't you think? Uh, it's a Sidan formula. I don't know what the guy does or what tells the players, but he doesn't have a problem with a slow start. He had a slow start last season. Last time they won the Champions League, he also had a, a slow start. It's just the way he operates. I think he would rather, you know, see Shakhtar, you know, he'd rather blow a 3-0 victory over Shakhtar than, you know, freaking do that in the semifinals. I think it's it's very valid. He explores things. He's also a guy that is very, very consistent. And I think that consistency uh, is something that takes time to build. Uh, Madrid are, are a team that went from buying and selling players at rapid speed to becoming one of the most stable 11s in European football right now. I think that speaks a lot of what Zidane likes. He likes a squad that he can trust, a squad he can rely on, players who he knows by heart. And I think that's what happens in the end. He just... He knows what works. He doesn't over tinker. He just, he just applies a good old copy and paste when it works. So yeah, if it ain't broke, why fix it? And who's your man of the season in Real Madrid so far? Oh, I would say it's either I would say Tony Kroos or, or Benzema definitely. I'm voting um, for Benzema. Yeah, I mean he's had an amazing. He's a great striker. He's always been. Uh, he was under the shadow of Ronaldo for a long time, also because that's what kind of the team wanted. Like Ronaldo had all the shots, not number nine. Uh, but yeah, Benzema has had a, a fantastic, you know, post Ronaldo era in Real Madrid, and I think every season he's become just or like just as vital or even more vital uh, in occasions or on occasions than uh, than Ronaldo himself. And Toni Kroos, I think these past two months maybe he's been stellar for the team. He's been maybe key and 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 probably two of the most key games, like you said, the Clasico and, and this series against Liverpool, he was he was outstanding. And uh, and yeah, I think these two guys have 
Casemiro also deserves a special mention as well. He sure. had a really, he was the biggest name, the, the, one of the most consistent names in a very, very slow start for Real Madrid. Uh, and he's kept his form and his name as high as possible, I think. That's it, basically. He's betting for the same names that always deliver and uh, they don't seem to age enough to for them to not deliver. So I think as long as they're around and as long as they're decent, as decent as they are right now, Madrid's fine. True. Well, in Brazil, we say that the shirt is heavy, you know, when a team has such <laughs> yeah. tradition and especially tradition in a specific competition, the shirt can enter the pitch by itself without the players and they're going to win the match. Do you think that this is what's going to happen with Real Madrid in this in this, uh, this Champions League? Because it's Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, Manchester City and Chelsea. I mean, nobody has more, nobody has a heavier shirt than Real Madrid there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we have the same saying in Spanish. The, the shirt sometimes weighs a bit more. Um, I think that what that translates to in real life is that Real Madrid know how to do things because they've been doing it since literally the first edition of the European Champions Cup, right? They, they, they won the first one. They won the first five of them in a row. So they kind of have 60 years on the back that, you know, PSG, Man City definitely don't in Chelsea, albeit uh, the one with the bigger history in Europe, ironically, uh, winning a Champions League with Di Matteo. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's, it's the biggest CV that you have there against Real Madrid. I think it's that they just understand how this tournament works. They understand what mood they have to come into. And you already have on your squad, I don't know, combined eight, nine players that won the thing already at least once or twice. So you have a very, very big upper hand on, on the rest. And it sounds silly to say that, yeah, you know, uh, experience is, is that important. But I'm, I'm sorry, it is. If you know how to play certain tournaments better than the rest, if you do have, uh, you know, a success rate that the other teams wish they would ever have in this tournament, I do think it makes a difference. You have a coach who's won it as a player, who's won it three times as a coach already. They know what to do. Uh, the others are still kind of figuring it out. And I think that definitely gives you sort of like a heavier edge on the rest of, uh, over the rest of the competition. Good point. And with all these big clashes happening and these amazing matches, we kind of didn't pay much attention to Chelsea Porto. <laughs> also because, I mean, after the first match, 2-0, Porto losing at home. It was in Sevilla, but it was at home. We couldn't really expect much from the second match and it was kind of what we what we watched. But Chelsea's in the semifinal. What can we expect from this Chelsea in the semifinal? Well... It's a, a Thomas Tuchel team, so I think there's going to be a very similar feeling and vibe to that of Guardiola in that he loves change more than he likes staying put. Um, he also has a very bad tendency of tinkering and over-tinkering and touching and modifying things when he doesn't have to. That's cost him titles with PSG numerous times. That's cost him titles and, and battles with uh, in the Bundesliga with, with Dortmund. Now at Chelsea, he seems a bit more stable. The fact that he's been able to click so well with Kai Havertz, with Rüdiger and, um, and Timo Werner has kind of helped the team kind of get out of its slump. He understands really well how to work with a young team. I'm really excited to see what, what Chelsea can actually bring to the table. And I think uh, their main attribute here is precisely the fact that they're sort of like the wild card of the four. Uh, you kind of know what to expect from Guardiola City. You kind of know what to expect from, from PSG, what they're able to deliver, or, well, you know, namely Neymar and, and Mbappé or as well Keylor Navas was, was you know, just as good as, as Neymar in different aspects uh, in the PSG Bayern uh, series. But Chelsea, you still kind of have to figure it out. They're the one team that haven't been in this instance in the semifinals for a long time, or for a while at least. Tuchel is a guy that still has this sort of need to prove himself. He's always out for like a vendetta kind of mood kind of guy. Um, and I'm really excited, honestly. I think it's a team that have a lot of, of, of attributes that speak for them. And I think the main one would be velocity, speed, and reaction. It's a very, very fast team. It's a team that likes pressuring up high. It's a team that is 
very easy to, to click. Uh, they're players that know each other very well from youth divisions in Germany. Uh, and players that, uh, I mean, little by little are starting to prove the fact that they're, they weren't just big names from the Bundesliga. They can also deliver in the Premier League and in English football. Um, having said all that, it's also just a bunch of kids. You know, uh, Kai Havertz is, what, 21 at this point, 22. Werner is 25 even, or just about 25. Uh, there's still a couple things to do there. Ziyech could be something interesting to watch there, maybe with a bit more experience coming from the Ajax school. Uh, understanding how these things go, having already disqualified or you know gotten rid of Real Madrid previously, he might have a little insight that the other kids might lack. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be a, a fantastic. I mean, that's the game to watch, isn't it? I think Madrid Chelsea is going to be just as exciting as a PSG Man City could be. I agree with you, but now I'd like to know your predictions. Do you think Chelsea can go can beat Real Madrid? I mean, to say it is one thing, to see it is another. <laughs> um, I think Thomas Tuchel's going to do the Thomas Tuchel thing and just squander it away. I think Madrid are going to go through. How about Paris Saint-Germain Man City? Who's your bet on that? PSG, I have to say. That's going to be quite a final, huh? Paris Saint-Germain Real Madrid? Uh, I mean, it's going to hurt a little. I mean, uh, I, I can't even... I don't know who, who to root for there, to be quite honest with you. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to look sort of like the little novel that PSG is building for themselves, this little you know narrative they're doing, they already got rid of Bayern of the old money. They're going to get rid of the new money against City and they're going to beat Real Madrid in the final. That's what they're aiming for, uh, I think. So, I mean, all in all, they'd be winning against four of the heavier, three of the heavier names in football. Uh, and kudos. I mean, it, it, props to that. If you disqual if you get Barcelona out of the way, if you get Bayern out of the way, if you get Man City, Guardiola's Man City out of the way, and then you play a final against Real Madrid and you win it, you won everything. I mean, it's well-deserved, I guess. That's a great screenplay to write. I agree Definitely. with you. Well, great matches, this quarterfinal, great clashes in semifinal, and well, let's take a little break of the Champions League, a few cup, a few leagues matches coming, and we'll come back in a couple weeks with more Champions League. Thanks!